Here we go. Fans off. It's uh, 45 degrees here in the shed. I'm all good. Hey, everybody, I'm Kyle Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us uh, today on this Monday. I hope everybody had a good weekend. First, we are going to dive into some stories of the day, also known as our news fixes. And then we're going to talk about a story or two that made us smile. So uh, time to get going. Kai, how about you first? Okay, uh, I've got two. One uh, from the pages of the New York Times today, an announcement that's going to be coming from the White House tomorrow in relations to the in relation rather only one relation um, to the hmm. Chips Act, which was the fifty-two billion dollar semiconductor infrastructure package that passed. Uh, I guess it was a couple of months ago now. Uh, Commerce Secretary Raimondo has been pushing really hard. The president, obviously, as well. It's all about semiconductor infrastructure in this country and and getting it back. Anyway, what the White House is going to announce tomorrow is that in order to get a slice of that money, semiconductor makers, the people who are building the factories that the government is uh, putting money into, uh, in order to get some of that money, those uh, companies are going to have to uh, offer affordable high-quality childcare for the people building in factories and the people who eventually work in them. And I think that's just amazing because uh, it is, in my experience, there is nothing harder about raising a child than finding good childcare. And it is obviously a labor force issue because if you can't work, find a place to have your child be safe and cared for, you cannot work. Obviously, this uh, accrues more to uh, women than it does to men. But generally speaking, everybody's going to benefit out of this, which is awesome. I think. Is this something they can actually enforce? Uh, so the what the Commerce Department is going to do is going to put out um, broad guidelines. It's not going to be a regulatory thing. It's not going to be a need for public comment. It's going to be guidelines that the Commerce Department wants. Now, as to whether or not uh, Ramondo is going to be able to enforce this, I don't know. I'm going to talk to her probably at the Milken Conference in like April or May, and I will certainly ask her about mm-hmm. this. Um, but yeah, the, the enforcement mechanism is obviously the challenging part. Well, I can imagine them putting sort of like the terms for mm-hmm. like putting it in, you know, the the terms of like the loan being conditional. Right. But I could also imagine that being challenged as, you know, un, unfair, or unreasonable or illegal by somebody who doesn't like it, you know, mm-hmm. or Absolutely. saying that they're Absolutely. disadvantaging one company over another. And I, I, I mean, like, it's yep. great. I hope it works. I just am thinking about, you know. How politics works. Yep. <laughs> totally. No, that's that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Uh, my other one is uh, from the Wall Street Journal today, which had it before the actual um, announcement came from the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. But uh, that office is out with a report today on, in essence, what the hell happened? Why did the Afghan forces collapse so quickly upon U.S. withdrawal? And it puts some blame on the Biden administration for the uncoordinated and unnotified two allies, including the Afghans, um, uh, um, speed of that withdrawal, right? It's no secret that Biden was going to withdraw. He's been saying that for years and years and years. But the the speed of it and the uncoordinated nature of it, but also um, the Trump administration and the very foundational document of that pullout, which is uh, something called the Doha Accords, uh, it goes in, the report goes uh, deeply into criticize those, the secrecy, how the Afghans were not informed of the deal that the United States was making with the Taliban, which was the Doha Accords. Mm. Um, and also the the rampant, rampant corruption within uh, President Ghani's government 
and what that did to uh, facilitate the downfall of the Afghan forces. There is a line in here that something like 80% of the Afghan soldiers on the books didn't exist. Imaginary. Wow. It's amazing. It's amazing. And when you think about wow. how much uh, blood and treasure, as it were, that the United States and many other countries spent there, uh, it's kind of wild. Yeah. The Afghanistan Papers, the book, I'm, yes, uh -huh, it was yep, also a series yep. in the Washington Post, but that book is yep. just such a powerful read. Um, I, I assign it to my students in the class that I teach as an example cause it's of, you know, we talk about the intersection yeah. of government and media, but of how media and sort of the decline of foreign reporting and okay. the lack of just manpower to fact check things, yeah. not to mention rampant lying across multiple administrations and just all of the ways we fell down uh, in that in those decades. Um, not just yeah, the media, but the media, the government, book. everybody. Recommend. Yeah, yeah, everybody. highly recommend. Yeah. Anyway, those are my two. Uh, okay, uh, mine two are quite domestic. Uh, first of all, uh, in Tennessee, as many folks have probably heard at this point, they have passed a law that is on its way to the governor for signing that would basically ban drag shows in public. Mm. And this is, it passed in the state house last Thursday, and it's expected to be signed by Governor Bill Lee. And it is definitely obviously causing a huge backlash amongst the queer mm. community and trans folks as well. And I will identify that not everybody who does drag is queer or is mm -hmm. trans or any of these things. And there is, in addition to sort of the obvious human rights implication, there are a couple of stories that are already coming up about the business implications for this, about how, you know, there is a quote here from one drag performer that was talking about performing in Dollywood, and now they won't be able to perform there under mm. this rule. Uh, under this law. And there's another uh, restaurant or, or bar that does like drag shows. And now in order to do their drag shows, they would have to get a special like license as if they were a strip club. But you can't be, I guess, have a strip club and a liquor license at the same time at the location where oh, they wow. are. And so they're wow. just sort of out of luck. And there are so many of these laws targeting the LGBTQ plus community coming down the pipeline that are getting passed. And it's at the state level in a way that, you know, I wonder over the past couple of years, we've seen businesses kind of step up and say that, you know, they won't work in these places or put some pressure on various state governments in moments like this. Very famously, mm -hmm. Disney did not leading up to the Don't Say Gay bill uh, and then all of the fallout from that, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but I have not heard corporate America stepping up on this one. And no. it's interesting. And I wonder if they've just sort of decided to step back from, I guess, as some people like to call it, the culture wars. Or, you know, 
or what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think you should go to your next item because because this that sort of is a lesson in what happens when you step up. However, reluctantly, Bob Chapek stepped up. But anyway, over to you. Right. Number two, which is that today, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed the bill that takes control of that special tax district that let Disney do whatever it wanted to do, basically, in the Disney World area. It takes that special um, control away, meaning that for the last half a century or so, that was sort of like an autonomous island within Florida where Disney could kind of do whatever. And Florida left it alone because of all the revenue that Disney was bringing in. And DeSantis just signed it away after Disney did start stepping up and speaking out publicly against the Don't Say Gay bill. And this is something that is significantly, significantly going to cost this corporation because they did take a side against the people in power. Yeah. Yeah. And they took it reluctantly. It has to be said, Bob Chapek did not make yeah. himself out a hero in this one. But the company, nonetheless, it has gotten whacked. It really has. Anyway. It's, um, it's scary, to be honest. And uh, I really worry for the folks that will be in additional danger because yeah. of these laws. So. Yeah. yeah. I agree. All, uh, right. all right, Jay. All right, who's going? All right, I will go. Um, okay. I don't really watch award shows, but I do enjoy sort of uh, following up the next day with sort of what mm -hmm. was on the red carpet and what the best, um, you know, speeches were and things like that. And I was so pleased to hear that I'm always going to get this title wrong. Everything, everywhere, all at once. That that movie did oh, very yeah. well uh, at the awards last night, and it was a SAG after awards. And yeah. there have been several lovely profiles of Ki Hui Kwan, who mm -hmm. was a child actor who you might recall from Indiana Jones and also The Goonies, who, because of you know racism in Hollywood and a variety of other factors ended up really not getting that much work after these two big hmm. roles when he was a child star. And he tried and he tried and he tried and he couldn't. And so he had to kind of leave acting for a while. He eventually got back into working with movies sort of behind the scenes. But this is like his first movie in 20 years. And oh, he wanted it so badly and it was his first time getting back to it and he's been speaking in a lot of interviews just so powerfully about how hard it was for him to not be able to have a career how much he loved acting how painful it was to not see any space for him in hollywood at the time mm. and what it's like to now see more nuanced roles for Asian and Asian American characters in Hollywood and how he wanted this role so badly that before auditioning, he was hiring like voice coaches and body movement coaches and people to work with him just so he could get ready for these rounds of auditions. And, you know, now they've, they've won so much and he did a great job in that film. If you haven't seen it, he plays the husband mm -hmm. of the main mm -hmm. character and it's such a good movie. And, it's just really heartwarming um, as a big fan of the Goonies and, and all those things. And to see it not be so stereotypical is also mm -hmm. lovely. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that made me smile. It's quite lovely. And, and, and the movie's great, too. The movie's great. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom uh, had a meeting today, Rishi Sunak had a meeting today with uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who's the head of the European Commission. And they were trying to find some solution to what has become uh, known as the Northern Ireland uh, problem, which is to say the land border between Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom, which is no longer in the European Union, and Ireland, which is, of course, in the European Union, separate country, right? So they had a meeting today to hash things out. It's the last sticking point in Brexit, if you remember that, the 1996, 2016 <laughs> vote. Wow. Uh, that took uh, the UK out of the European Union. Last thing on the table was the Northern Ireland land border and what was going to happen with customs duties and goods transit and all kinds of different things. They had a meeting today. They came to an agreement, and Rishi Sunak, on his official Twitter feed, posted uh, sort of a placard that says, uh, we've done it, uh, now time to move forward. And it says, the agreement achieves. And then there's a bunch of bullet items. Free-flowing trade in the UK, great. A green lane for goods, great. You get to go back and forth faster. No onerous customs bureaucracy, good. No mm -hmm. border on the Irish Sea, fine. And then, middle of the pack here, the ban on British sausages, gone. And I'm like, wait, there was a ban on British sausages? Yeah, so apparently the European Union only lets frozen meats in, which I was not aware of. And now that agreement has been lifted in the case of British sausages. So if you're in Ireland and you want a British sausage to come over the land border from Northern Ireland, you can do that. And that made me laugh. That made <laughs> me laugh. Which maybe says wow. more about me than anything else. I don't know. Anyway, the ban on British sausage is gone. Little bangers and mash. Hey, if that's your thing in the morning. That, that, there you go. Nothing like a good British breakfast sausage. Anyway, that's it. That's it for us today. We're going out on a breakfast meal here at the end of the day. Back tomorrow with uh, our weekly deep dive. We're doing clean energy economy and nimbyism in climate change mm -hmm. and green energy and how that's all going to work because it's everybody's problem, people. Everybody's. Everybody's everywhere all at once. Until then, keep sending us your emails and your voice messages. You can reach us at 508-UV-SMART or at makemesmart at marketplace.org. You can tell Jay's engineering because of the way he fades up that music. Mm -hmm. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's program is engineered by Jay Seabold. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonio Barreras. Marissa Cabrera is our acting senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. 